Hello and welcome back to the Overcrowded Bookshelf. My name is Tom Padgett and this is my audiobook podcast where I take books from my overcrowded bookshelf and I read them to you. Today we're continuing on with The Diamond as Big as the Ritz by F. Scott Fitzgerald. We're reading chapter 9 today and this is the second to last episode. In tomorrow's episode we'll cover both chapters 10 and 11 and that's it. So we're reaching the climax of our story here. Please make sure you're up to date on the previous episodes and we'll jump into this one. In the last chapter, John found out that he was never going to be allowed to leave alive, that he was going to be killed off so that he couldn't share the secrets of the Washington family. John has made the decision to leave as soon as possible, and Kisman has decided to go with him. In fact, she's forcing him to take her with him, or she threatened to go and tell her father that he was trying to escape. So that's where we are, and we're going to see what happens next now that John realises the danger that he's in. As with the rest of this book, there is a content warning. There may be some use of offensive language in this chapter. This podcast does not endorse that language. Without further ado, let's jump into chapter 9. The Diamond as Big as the Ritz Chapter 9 Long after midnight, John's body gave a nervous jerk, and he sat suddenly upright, staring into the veils of somnolence that draped the room. Through the squares of blue darkness that were his open windows, he had heard a faint, faraway sound that died upon a bed of wind before identifying itself on his memory, clouded with uneasy dreams. But the sharp noise that had succeeded it was nearer, was just outside the room. The click of a turned knob, a footstep, a whisper, he could not tell. A hard lump gathered in the pit of his stomach, and his whole body ached in the moment that he strained agonisingly to hear. Then one of the veils seemed to dissolve, and he saw a vague figure standing by the door, a figure only faintly limbed and blocked in upon the darkness, mingled so with the folds of the drapery as to seem distorted, like a reflection seen in a dirty pane of glass. With a sudden movement of fright or resolution, John pressed the button by his bedside, and the next moment he was sitting in the green sunken bath of the adjoining room, waked into alertness by the shock of the cold water which half filled it. He sprang out and, his wet pyjamas scattering a heavy trickle of water behind him, ran for the aquamarine door which he knew led out into the ivory landing of the second floor. The door opened noiselessly. A single crimson lamp burning in a great dome above, lit the magnificent sweep of the carved stairways with a poignant beauty. For a moment John hesitated, appalled by the silent splendour massed about him, seeming to envelop in its gigantic folds and contours the solitary drenched little figure shivering upon the ivory landing. Then simultaneously two things happened. The door of his own sitting room swung open, precipitating three naked negroes into the hole. And, as John swayed in wild terror toward the stairway, another door slid back in the wall on the other side of the corridor, and John saw Braddock Washington standing in the lighted lift, wearing a fur coat and a pair of riding boots, which reached to his knees and displayed above the glow of his rose-coloured pyjamas. On the instant the three negroes, 
John had never seen any of them before, and it flashed through his mind that they must be the professional executioners, paused in their movement toward John, and turned expectantly to the man in the lift, who burst out with an imperious command, Get in here, all three of you, quick as hell! Then, within the instant, the three negroes darted into the cage. The oblong of light was blotted out as the lift door slid shut, and John was again alone in the hole. He slumped weakly down against an ivory stair. It was apparent that something portentous had occurred, something which, for the moment at least, had postponed his own petty disaster. What was it? Had the Negroes risen in revolt? Had the aviators forced aside the iron bars of the grating? Or had the men of fish stumbled blindly through the holes and gazed with bleak, joyless eyes upon the gaudy valley? John did not know. He heard a faint whir of air as the lift whizzed up again, and then, a moment later, as it descended. It was probable that Percy was hurrying to his father's assistance, and it occurred to John that this was his opportunity to join Kisman and plan an immediate escape. He waited until the lift had been silent for several minutes, Shivering a little with the night cool that whipped in through his wet pyjamas, he returned to his room and dressed himself quickly. Then he mounted a long flight of stairs and turned down the corridor carpeted with Russian sable, which led to Kisman's suite. The door of her sitting room was open and the lamps were lighted. Kisman, in an angora kimono, stood near the window of the room in a listening attitude and as John entered noiselessly, she turned toward him. "'Oh, it's you,' she whispered, crossing the room to him. "'Did you hear them?' "'I heard your father's slaves in my—' "'No,' she interrupted excitedly. "'Aeroplanes!' "'Aeroplanes! Perhaps that was the sound that woke me. "'There's at least a dozen of them. "'I saw one a few moments ago, dead against the moon. "'The guard back by the cliff fired his rifle, "'and that's what roused father.' We're going to open on them right away. Are they here on purpose? Yes, it's that Italian who got away. Simultaneously with her last word, a succession of sharp cracks tumbled in through the open window. Kisman uttered a little cry, took a penny with fumbling fingers from a box on her dresser, and ran to one of the electric lights. In an instant the entire chateau was in darkness. She had blown out the fuse. Come on, she cried to him. We'll go up to the roof garden and watch it from there. Drawing a cape about her, she took his hand and they found their way out the door. It was only a step to the tower lift and as she pressed the button that shot them upward, he put his arms around her in the darkness and kissed her mouth. Romance had come to John Unger at last. A minute later they had stepped out upon the star-white platform. Above, under the misty moon, sliding in and out of the patches of cloud that eddied below it, floated a dozen dark-winged bodies in a constant circling course. From here and there in the valley, flashes of fire leaped toward them, followed by sharp detonations. Kisman clapped her hands with pleasure, which, a moment later, turned to dismay as the aeroplanes, at some prearranged signal, 
began to release their bombs, and the whole of the valley became a panorama of deep reverberate sound and lurid light. Before long, the aim of the attackers became concentrated upon the points where the anti-aircraft guns were situated, and one of them was almost immediately reduced to a giant cinder to lie smouldering in a patch of rose bushes. Kismen, begged John, you'll be glad when I tell you that this attack came on the eve of my murder. If I hadn't heard that guard shoot off his gun back by the pass, I should now be stone dead. I can't hear you, cried Kismen, intent on the scene before her. You'll have to talk louder. I simply said, shouted John, that we'd better get out before they begin to shell the chateau. Suddenly the whole portico of the Negro quarters cracked asunder. A geyser of flame shot up from under the colonnades, and great fragments of jagged marble were hurled as far as the borders of the lake. There go fifty thousand dollars worth of slaves, cried Kisman, at pre-war prices. So few Americans have any respect for property. John renewed his efforts to compel her to leave. The aim of the aeroplanes was becoming more precise minute by minute and only two of the anti-aircraft guns were still retaliating. It was obvious that the garrison, encircled with fire, could not hold out much longer. "'Come on!' cried John, pulling Kisman's arm. "'We've got to go. Do you realise that those aviators will kill you without question if they find you?' She consented reluctantly. "'We'll have to wake Jasmine,' she said as they hurried toward the lift. Then she added, in a sort of childish delight, We'll be poor, won't we? Like people in books. And I'll be an orphan and utterly free. Free and poor. What fun! She stopped and raised her lips to him in a delighted kiss. It's impossible to be both together, said John grimly. People have found that out. And I should choose to be free as preferable of the two. As an extra caution, you'd better dump the contents of your jewel box into your pockets. Ten minutes later, the two girls met John in the dark corridor, and they descended to the main floor of the chateau. Passing for the last time through the magnificence of the splendid halls, they stood for a moment out on the terrace, watching the burning negro quarters and the flaming embers of two planes which had fallen on the other side of the lake. A solitary gun was still keeping up a sturdy popping, and the attackers seemed timorous about descending lower but sent their thunderous fireworks in a circle around it, until any chance shot might annihilate its Ethiopian crew. John and the two sisters passed down the marble steps, turned sharply to the left, and began to ascend a narrow path that wound like a garter about the Diamond Mountain. Kisman knew a heavily wooded spot halfway up, where they could lie concealed, and yet be able to observe the wild night in the valley. Finally, to make an escape when it should be necessary, along a secret path laid in a rocky valley. And that is the end of chapter 9. I'm sorry to cut it off there. Things have taken a very sharp turn. Two chapters ago, everything was quite peaceful at the chateau. Last chapter, John realised that he was going to be killed, and now there's an all-out bombing going on in the valley. It's quite a sudden crescendo to a story that's been building quite subtly and steadily. 
As always, you can find the podcast at the Overcrowded Bookshelf on Facebook and at Overcrowded underscore Bookshelf on Instagram. Thank you for listening again today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great rest of your day and we'll see you tomorrow for the final chapter. God bless.